Please turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. If you came for a Christmas message, you come back. I want to read to you verses 18 through 25 this morning, Romans chapter 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The start of the Christmas season for many people typically means lights and decorations, cookies, caroling, happy Christmas music. It seems, and maybe you're one of these people, as soon as we have put away the fake spider webs and jack-o'-lanterns, we have pulled out the Christmas lights and pressed play on All I Want for Christmas is You. I think most people like the Christmas season. At least they want to like Christmas. I think a lot of people try really, really hard to enjoy Christmas. We certainly spend enough time and effort and money on it. And I think for the most part, we're trying. For a lot of people, Christmas is a time of gift giving, getting together with family, going to see grandma, getting time off of school, family meals, holiday parties. As much as we can cram in, it is certainly not marked as a silent night anymore. Hopefully, and I think what most of us are chasing after is that warm, fuzzy feeling that those people in the Christmas movies seem to have. But unfortunately, I don't think that that is the reality for most people. I think for too many, Christmas time is, as one put it, notoriously wrought with materialism, busyness, and exhaustion. It's just exhausting. But we, as Christians, we know differently, right? We know that Christmas is about Christ. And we put an extra effort at this time of the year to keep Christ in Christmas. 
to focus on the God who became flesh and lived among us. And so many Christians for many years to help them keep their focus on Christ at Christmas, they observe something called Advent. Advent just means coming or arrival. Advent is a way to develop a deeper appreciation for the baby in the manger. During Advent, you intentionally wait and focus on Christ. But we don't just focus on Christ. We focus on the situation that Christ entered into when he came. I find it interesting also that Advent is a Christian tradition, which means, among other things, that we observe Advent knowing that Christ has already come. This is not an Old Testament carryover tradition. Although they waited for the Messiah, Advent happened after Christ came the first time. The promise of the Messiah has already been fulfilled. And unlike the Jews of the Old Testament, we know who he is. We know he was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. We know his name is Jesus of Nazareth. We know what he did. We know what he accomplished. But in a sense, Advent is to Christmas what Good Friday is to Easter. Instead of rushing ahead, we pause. And we dwell on some uncomfortable truths. We stop and consider the mess. Not just the mess that Christ entered into 2,000 years ago. The chaos and the disorder that we still live in today. Advent is a time where we remember that the world is not as it should be. That there is pain and grief and darkness that is yet to be finally remedied. Now that might be an unusual way for some of us to think about Christmas. But I think it's important that we do. It's good for us to recognize and celebrate the Christmas season not for what we want it to be. Not even for what we hope it will be, but for what it's actually all about. I have observed that during the holidays, a lot of people try to hide the pain. They try to ignore the mess of their lives. And even if it's just for a moment... Collectively, as a society, we want to just make everything appear just right. We want that perfect family photo. We want that memorable Christmas morning, drinking hot cocoa and sitting around the tree. Everybody's in their Christmas pajamas. And everybody's merry and bright. We want that unforgettable look in our child's eyes when they get that gift or when they see the tree or whatever it is. We want that special feeling that we think we're supposed to have 
What I think it is, is we want a Hallmark movie kind of Christmas. I won't ask you to incriminate yourself, which of you like Hallmark Christmas movies, but I know that they're among us. You don't have to like them to know what we're talking about, because if you're laughing, you know why it is such a stigma. Have you ever thought why Hallmark movies are so popular? Not having done a lot of research, i.e. I don't watch them, I think it's something that Hallmark does that most movies do, but they do it extremely repetitively. (laughs) Everything is just perfect. It's 70 degrees and snowing. No one's ever stuck for too long. Everything gets fixed by the end. It all works out for everybody involved. And everything is perfect. I think we like that because we want that. But the Christian celebration of Christmas isn't about having everything just perfect. It's not about shoving the emotional and relational clutter into the closet for a few days so that we can at least act like we're all okay. You're not going to enjoy the true meaning of the season by ignoring the pain and the suffering within you and around you. You're not going to truly get Christmas if you pretend that it's fine when it's really not. Because that's not the world that we live in. That is not the world that Jesus came into either. So Advent helps us to keep the right perspective, not just on Christmas, but on life in general, and particularly on suffering. Because Advent reminds us to wait with hope. Our world is full of pain and suffering and hurt and loss. And our verse here today, verse 18, reminds us of that very truth. There is a lot of hurt right now. There are present sufferings, plural. And we know that's true because we live here. We don't need a Bible verse to tell us that. We can say, I know that, Paul. Amen. The present sufferings. Something is very wrong in the world today. Anywhere and everywhere we look, we can see the effects of sin. The world is not how it's supposed to be. There is famine and disease. There is homelessness and poverty. There are abuses of power. There are bloody wars and senseless violence across the country, across the world, and in our own neighborhoods, even in our own homes. Every single day, people experience the effects of the fall way back in the garden. And even in our own little world, things aren't always what we'd like for them to be. 
Can we just admit that life is complicated? Would you just admit to yourself that your life is kind of messy? It's not perfect, and it's not even close. Sometimes we struggle just to get through the day. To live in this world is to know both moments of great joy and extreme sorrow. For the last two Saturdays, we have celebrated young, young love. We've had couples stand on this, on this altar at this platform and proclaim their future and present love till death do they part. We can rejoice when a family who couldn't have children and struggled finally find out they're pregnant and turn around and grieve with them when they lose their baby. We can rejoice in great victory to all of a sudden be brought to our knees in great sorrow and defeat. We can have our hearts thrilled and broken by the same people. For some, the holidays are just a reminder of how broken everything really is. How unfulfilling your life is. How unfair life seems to be to you. How frustrating and disappointing the world can be. It's a reminder of your dysfunctional family. Of the distant, broken, fractured relationships. It's a reminder of your messy life and the messed up world that is all around us. And I'm here to tell you that we shouldn't pretend that it isn't, especially at Christmas. Don't pretend that your life is fine if it's not. This is where Advent can help us at, as, as Christians. Because Advent is the recognition of a paradise lost. Verse number 20 there tells us that the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. That's Adam. That's the fall. That's Genesis chapter 3. Our first parents disobeyed God and they lost their innocence. They lost their perfect standing before God. They lost their home in paradise. From that point until now, it's painfully obvious that something is off. Something is not right in our world. We can read it through the Bible and we can see it time and time and time again. People hurt each other. Men and women reject the God who made them. Marriages fail. Leaders abuse their power and position. Boys and girls fight and argue. Brothers and sisters cannot get along. People lie and steal and cheat. There's injustice. There's fear. There's death. And Advent is about living in and waiting in that mess. All of that mess, Advent teaches us to wait in it. In her book, The Once and Future Coming of Jesus Christ, author Fleming Rutledge made a 
pretty short but I think powerful statement about Advent. She says, Advent begins in the dark. The first time I read it, I was like, okay, that's cute. You know, move on. I kept coming back to that. Advent begins in the dark. That dark is the pain and the suffering that is present in our lives. It's the not knowing when it's all going to end or if it even will. It's not being sure if it's going to get any better. The darkness is the feeling that many have of being alone, and unheard, unseen. It's the feeling that the psalmists have and that many of us have at times that God even has hidden his face from us. There's too many people who know too well this kind of helplessness and even hopelessness. But Advent is also about waiting for the return of the paradise that we lost. Yes, we lost it. And in fact, none of us have ever experienced exactly what it was. When Adam sinned, death was the result just as God had said it would be. And hardship came and loss and suffering. They came, there were consequences, and Adam and Eve had to leave their paradise. But God also made a promise. He said that one would come and he would crush the serpent's head. He said that someone would come and he would fix everything. So Advent is about waiting for this one who has promised to come and make it all right again. And the people of God ever since were longing for that day and we sing with them in, this, in that hymn, Oh, come and ransom captive Israel. We want to see the paradise restored because it was promised to be that way. But as Christians on the other side of the manger and the tomb, we're not waiting for a, a Savior to come into a lowly manger in Bethlehem. No, we're waiting for him to come in power and glory to rule on a throne and reign on the earth. So during Advent, we kind of quote someone here, we marinate in the reality of the already and the not yet. Yes and no. That Jesus has come and will come again. And that the brokenness of our world will be made right. So Advent is about waiting with a promise. The text tells us that we can wait with hope. Verse 21 tells us that creation has hope. That it will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the sons of God. Verse 23 says it's not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. We inwardly groan. The word means to lament. We're not settled with this. We're not satisfied with what we have because we long for a day that was promised to come when it will all be made right again. And we have a hope that that day will come. And that hope is not a, a wish in something uncertain. This is not a pipe dream. Rather, it is looking forward to something that is certain to happen. We might not see it yet. 
It might not even seem like it's going to happen. But hope tells us that it will. John Calvin observed even 500 years ago, all things around us are in opposition to the promises of God. We read the promises and then we look up on the page and we see everything opposite of what God said he's going to do. Based on what we see in front of us, it does not seem like there's any way that anything could get better. It's so bad. The chaos is too great. The mess is way too complicated. How could anything ever be made right from this? Well, when God told a 99-year-old Abraham that he was going to have a son, Romans 4.8 tells us that in hope he believed against hope. I find that a very interesting, curious statement. He hoped against hope. It didn't seem possible for a 99-year-old man and a 75-year-old woman to have a son. In fact, it is impossible for that to happen. And yet, he believed in the God who does the impossible. Douglas Moo clarifies this. He says, against all hope, the kind based on ordinary human potentialities, Abraham believed in hope, the kind that sees beyond his circumstances to the ability and promise of God. In our present situation, in our waiting, there is a lot that seems impossible and hopeless and beyond repair. And maybe you can't even see those particular situations getting any better. It's just a mess. It is way too complicated. Some hurts are never going to heal. Some circumstances in life give us zero reasons to hope. But our hope is not built on circumstances. Our hope is not based on what we see around us. Really, our hope is what we hear from the Word. Because the truth is, even though Jesus came to Bethlehem, and even though the Spirit came to dwell in the hearts of God's people, we still suffer. We still inwardly groan. God's promises give us hope to believe against hope. With hope, we can patiently wait. We can endure with confident expectation. Because at the present, we don't see it. But we know we will one day. The saints of the past, they didn't receive the things that were promised. You can read Hebrews 11. But they believed. They saw them and they welcomed them from far off. They waited with hope. As the people of God today, we can and we must wait patiently for what God has promised. We must have hope. Not hope that it might be. Not hope that it could be. Hope that it will be exactly as God promised. Hope that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So listen, during this season of Advent, acknowledge the mess. Recognize that your life is not a Hallmark movie. 
you're not always fine. Your life is complicated. Rejoice in the grace and the comforts that God provides along the way. But don't ignore the mess. Instead, wait in it with patient hope. And then share your hope with others. That's the glorious part of the season is that you can share the hope that you have with others around you because their lives are messy too. Their lives are messy in ways that yours is not or maybe in ways exactly like yours is and you can share the hope that you have that is not based on what you think might happen or what you see happening around you but what God has promised will happen one day you can spread the hope that the baby in the manger is coming again as the king on his throne you can spread the hope that the paradise will be restored you can spread the hope of glory don't be discouraged by what you see around you right now this is not what it will be what it's like today is not what it will be one day. Our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So as you see the mess around you, look to the promises of God. Believe them. Hold so tightly to them. And have hope. I think this is what Paul means when he writes in Romans 5. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. He says not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions. Why? Because we know that affliction produces endurance. And endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. And friends, hope will not disappoint. Let's pray. Our God, our Father in heaven, you are our living hope. Your words are words of hope. We ask that in the mess, as we wait, you might give us this hope. Hope that endures, hope that overrides all of the, the things that we see around us. Hope that causes us to keep going when we see no other reason to do so. Oh God, help us, please, as we wait for the return of our Lord, our King, one who will bring and make all things new and bring paradise back. We pray through him. Amen.